and welcome to Tipping the Balance. I'm Katie Hickey, your host, and today we hear from Sarah Kennedy Norkoy. Sarah moved from Cambridge to the Orkney Islands with her two children in 2008. When Sarah turned 49, she wrote a list of 49 things she wanted to do before she turned 50, and cold water swimming was one of those. She was hooked straight away. She describes how this list and the cold water swimming was part of a much bigger journey of self-discovery. In January 2019, Sarah's world was shattered by the death of a close friend and her mother's dementia diagnosis, both within the space of two weeks. Sarah's book, Salt on My Skin, details how she coped with these devastating events and the effect that cold water swimming had on her life. In this episode, we discuss some of the factors to consider to stay safe whilst wild swimming in the sea. Sarah has swum in the Orkney Sea thousands of times and it was really interesting to hear what she's learned in order to stay safe. We touch on the mystique of living in Orkney and the importance of being immersed in nature and the healing power that brings, as well as the cold water swimming. Sarah shares her experiences of supporting her parents whilst her mum's dementia is steadily getting worse each day. It is an open and raw account of grief and worry about caring for a parent with such a devastating disease. Sarah says that although it is incredibly difficult, there are still beautiful and tender moments that she will cherish forever. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share with a friend who you think will enjoy listening. Welcome, Sarah, to Tipping the Balance. I'm really excited to have you on the show. I know you are a very enthusiastic uh, cold water swimmer and you are in Scotland, so I can wholeheartedly say cold, very cold water. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely cold. Even when you guys talk about it being cold and um, or, or you talk about yeah how cold it is, and I think that's our warmest. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite common for that to happen. I know I did. I was thinking that this week because I've been posting about um swimming you know sunrise and the air temperature and things and I've been thinking come on Katie like just kind of you know woman up about it you know, think about Sarah she's up there in Scotland and posting you know she's out with her swimming costume out there you can do it you can do it <laughs> so you've definitely been quite a big um inspiration to me actually for thinking right dish the wetsuit just give it a go you know if they're doing it in Scotland you can definitely try in Devon. <laughs> so thank you for, oh, thank for you. inspiring me. Um, yeah, because I, I, we just were discussing how I sort of discovered you. And um, yeah, uh, Fiona Anal posted about your book on her Instagram, um, Salt on My Skin. And I was quite eager to, you know, devour any books I could about cold water swimming um and of course you know your book isn't just about swimming it talks about your life and um caring for your mum who has dementia and you know lots of other things um so I thought you would be an absolutely wonderful guest to have on the show to talk about mental health and how you try to kind of find some sort of balance in life um you know if that even exists um yeah because you're quite open you know talking about your your feelings and mental health mm -hmm. and your and challenges that you have sort of gone through so um would you like to start off I've given a bit of an introduction but not a very good one why don't you introduce yourself and kind of um for the listeners and say who you are and a, and a bit about you well thank you for that so I'm I'm Sarah and I live in Orkney which is right off the top of Scotland you then get a boat or a plane and then you are in a series of islands um, and you get to Orkney so that's where I live and I've been here it'll be 13 years in August so I've been here a fair while now um, married to an Orcadian and I started sea swimming two years ago when I was 49 um, I had one of those little midlife crisis um, a very very late gap year I suppose where I decided <laughs> <laughs> I decided that I wanted to try 49 things while I was still 49 um, just to give my as if I didn't have enough already in my life working full-time you know I have two adult kids now um, 
And I, I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to add to all of that stress, mother with dementia. Um, and I am going to try 49 new things. And one of those things was a, a one-off sea swim, which I was completely hooked on um, straight away. Yeah. Never stopped. I, I, <laughs> as soon as I started, I, I started going three or four times a week straight away from day one in January 2019 and I just carried on Um, and as you say I loved it so much and it was such a journey that year with my mum's dementia and the sea swimming and this kind of self-discovery at 50 49 sorry um that I you know I kind of wanted to get all of that down and Mm. uh and explore all of that so that's amazing just press print on my diary and there you go (laughs) (laughs) actually that has inspired me I thought well I I will actually start writing you know how I feel after after my swim so I can remember it because otherwise you know you think you'll never forget but unless you actually write it down often some of these like some of those memories just will will be gone and so was it it was in January that you did your first dip was it it was January um 2019 so I made this list or I started making a list and I thought I'll add to it through the year so I went onto this this Facebook group called the polar bears in Orkney and I said I'm just thinking of doing this sea swimming thing can anybody give me any any advice and I was thinking mentally I was thinking in the summer was the end of my sentence (laughs) yes and then this this woman turned up at my workplace with a wetsuit and she said, so at the weekend, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? What do you mean the weekend? And then I think shame just made me like <laughs> not, be able, not be able to back out. So um, because I'm too proud to say I don't want to go, um, I, <laughs> I, I put this wetsuit on. Well, first of all, I put it on back to front. So that was another story. I didn't realise it. I was like, I can't, oh, I said, no. I can't get this zipped up. And, um, you know, I was trying to squash my boobs and then everything. And then <laughs> eventually he said, you know, put his eyes back in his head and said, you actually need to have it on the other way around. Oh, no. um, put this wetsuit on, met her at the weekend and swam and, and actually really, really loved it and didn't regret it. So I'm so glad I started in January. But I also would say, you know, you've got to do what's right for you. Mm. Um I don't I don't endorse being stupid and unsafe Mm. that's really important to me that people do whatever activity they do they do it safely Mm. Um, and cold water swimming has another dimension of safety around it yeah Um, but yeah no that's that's when I started it was January okay yeah well I, I mean I was gonna I was I, could, I, could, I couldn't remember if you started with a wetsuit um but then when you said January and I thought okay January Orkney please say that you did you did have a wetsuit <laughs> on when you first started but I think it's amazing that you felt hooked straight away I I started in November um November just gone uh, and started with a wetsuit and then it was just yeah through kind of seeing other people talk about how it feels you know without a wetsuit I started kind of wondering and also the faff of trying to get the wetsuit on and off um and you know being cold on the beach of course after the swim is one thing but when you're really battling and your hands are cold and you're just you just can't get this thing off your legs like down your legs and over your feet (laughs) it's quite it's really funny that's why I ditched the wetsuit I mean I think I did about maybe 20 swims so maybe something like that I did maybe three weeks of with a wetsuit on and then when I was you know sitting on the boot of the car trying to yank the thing off my feet and the rest of the people were driving home I was like this is just nuts Mm -hmm. Um, so you know like faff is the exact word it was just too much hassle so I'm too lazy basically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever the lazy approach is the shortcut I'm there for it so. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and I think you do mention in in the book as well about how the freedom that not kind of needing the wetsuit you know you can just be driving along and I think you you do often describe this feeling of oh look you know the sea's just there and I know I've got my my costume in the back you know should I just should I just do it should I just quickly nip yeah. in and yeah. um it's that kind of impromptu possibility that 
you know if you've got if you don't have your wetsuit with you if your wetsuit's you know ringing wet and all of those things you just can't be quite so spontaneous that's right um, exactly yeah and just to kind of to touch on the the safety elements of of the swimming because it's something I think when I first was going to go in without my wetsuit I was just uh on the beach one day and I was with another family you know kids there and I said oh I've got my bikini I was thinking of just you know running in and giving it a go um and my friend said oh well you know I've read about it and I'm not I think you know I'm not sure that they advise that you you do that you know in the coldest month because I think March was the temperature um for us anyway that the sea temperature was lowest and and I said oh why is that I was just completely clueless actually I thought well I've been in the sea quite a lot with my wetsuit and often when the zips come undone or the wetsuit's got loads of holes in it anyway like I've had some taste of what the water feels like (laughs) um but you know she said she'd been reading all you know about hypothermia and cold shock and actually you know if she hadn't told me those things I you know quite honestly I hadn't looked it up um so Mm -hmm. it was you know she was there and she kind of you know warned me and when I got out I was shaking quite a lot even I was only in for probably five minutes um but I had my my hands were shaking like quite a lot I couldn't hold like a hot cup of tea very easily without it (laughs) almost spilling um but that's only really happened to me twice um getting out but you know have how what's your kind of experience with with the cold water and have you had any yeah what have you learned really about like staying safe it's really interesting because cold water swimming has absolutely mushroomed in the last 12 months I think because um the pools were shut and people were it just almost became trendy. And mm-hmm. I know that, I mean, I, for myself, when I started cold water swimming, all I wanted to do was look at pictures of other people doing it. And, you know, and so you see lots of people kind of promoting it on social media. And so then it becomes almost, it makes it look really inviting, but there is this kind of slightly darker side. Mm. Um, I know I learned about myself. There was one experience where, I, you know, I would say that I was addicted at the time, mm. just didn't have it in balance. Um, good segue there about balance. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that. Thank you. <laughs> so I just didn't have it in balance. And so I had, you know, gone and it was it was getting dark. I hadn't told anybody where I was going. And, and that whole experience, I just needed to get in and have the fix. And I came home and told my husband, and he used to be a lifeboatman. Mm. So he was a bit like, Sarah, you know, that's not, that's a bit stupid thing to do. Um, and so it made me think. And so I said, well, at least I told you. Mm-hmm, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, and, and another experience I've had was we were in the, we were in the water. There's a group of us. We were in the water and it was fine. We were having a great time. And suddenly the weather changed really quickly. Um, and it started hailing on us. And if you've been hailed on, oh. no, if you've got wet skin and hailstones, honestly, they might as well throw razor blades at you because it's mm. so painful. Um, but also the tide, the wind picked up the sea. So we were swimming hard to get. No, we were in a bay and we we couldn't have got swept. It wasn't that kind of scenario where we could have got swept out, but it was hard work getting back in. And when you're really cold, every minute counts in the water Mm. Um, because to go, you know, it can it can you can cross the line quite quickly in terms of getting hypothermic. So that was a that was a quite a key lesson for me as well. It's just that things can look very inviting, but they can change quickly. Mm. And Mm. you just you really need to know your your area and and your everything. You need to know all of the the dynamics about it before you go in mm. and um w- one thing that w- we talk about quite a lot with the the group of women that I swim with is um like rip currents I am not very experienced with the sea um and I think actually I'd probably say I was even a bit afraid of of the sea so I I when I swim I I try to 
stay you know as shallow as I possibly can so that I can if if I get you know scared or whatever that I can get out quite quickly but I mean I'm still at the beginning of my my swimming journey really um but I know a group of them did did swim one day I wasn't with them but um and they suddenly did find that they were caught in a rip and they had to you know they got dragged out and they had to try and swim out and clamber over some rocks and I just thought oh my god if I had been there um I think I would have completely freaked out I think it's good to have a healthy fear I think I I think you're better off to be a little bit fearful than you are definitely to be overconfident because I mean I have a friend who swam the channel she never goes out of her depth in the winter she you know because she had a situation um so she I mean she swims in all weathers for a long periods of time in you know in six degrees she can she can really do it but she's she because of an incident that she had so if if a channel swimmer is saying that then you know I I kind of listen to that and and but in fact not that long ago um I think it was probably January and it was late January early February and it was just starting to become light enough to swim in the mornings before work and the beach near me is a bit of a surface beach and I was with a friend and we did get caught in a rip Mm. and I remember now we were just swimming and chatting um about men so let that be a warning to you uh <laughs> so <laughs> we were chatting and and I suddenly looked and I you know I said Anna the coast is really a long way off and we thought that we were going sideways across the bay but we'd obviously been carried out a little bit so we were swimming back and I can remember consciously thinking because I have read about things and number one number two and number three are all the same don't panic Mm. right so first thing don't and I can remember thinking do not panic panicking is not going to help Mm. we both had toe floats which are not lifesavers but they Mm. can just give you a little bit of a rest Mm. um and she you know she she was Anna had a wetsuit on and I didn't so I'm thinking I can't afford too much extra time in the water because of the cold um, and we did, you know, we just calmly, we kind of went sideways and we did get out and we got, and it was fine. It was absolutely fine. But that was a real, real lesson for me that actually pay attention to what you're doing mm-hmm. um, because the potential for that is really quite scary. Mm. Um, and the beaches, you mentioned that's a bit of a surfing beach. So when you go into the sea, our, um, is... I know because I've seen a really great photo of you with the wave kind of hitting you and getting that photo. I mean, how you did that, I don't know, but um, that's another question for later. <laughs> um, yeah, the sea that you, when you're getting in, it's not always flat. You're you're going in when there's yeah. waves too. Yeah, I mean, the sea can be hugely varied. The same beach, that particular beach, which is Scale Beach. Um, if you've heard of Scarabray, which is a five thousand year old housing estate, I call it. Um, <laughs> But it's it, it's um, it's a real it's a really different beach because you can have it flat calm like a mill pond, um, but you can also have big waves. You can um, I mean I've we've gone in we've walked away from there before now because uh, you can be in shallow water, but a wave can come and pull you and knock you over. Um, mm. So and we're just like, oh, no, we know we're not going any further than this. It's too it's too fierce today. Mm. Um, so it, it can depend on the shape of the beach and the, how high the tide is and all kinds of things like that. Um, so so scale, you have to it, it can be temperamental and you have to be really choosy about when you go in there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? You just you can no matter yeah if you've been to the same beach a million times I mean that's it it's unpredictable so you have to take each each swim on a case-by-case basis and you can't just you can't you know you can't just uh what's the word like let your guard down you have to really assess each situation um but just not just the sea yourself you know you have days when you might be more tired you might have eaten a lot more sugar you might have not had as big a breakfast Mm-hmm. A different time of the day mentally you're you know you're focused on other things there's mm-hmm. all kinds of so you have to not only look at the sea 
but you have to look at yourself and say where am I at and how how am I feeling mm. um because mentally it doesn't matter how many times I I can't tell you thousands I have swum thousands of times mm. and every single time I look at the scene I'm like what the heck am I doing like, what <laughs> <laughs> this just looks really cold and then I, I do it and I'm you know that never goes away yeah yeah no and then that's good isn't it and then I think that's like you say you know it's that kind of healthy respect and maybe you know with a pinch of fear thrown in just to help keep you keep <laughs> yeah. you safe um yeah. and you mentioned you know your, the list of you know 49 things and that the cold water swimming was part of this kind of journey of self-discovery I mean do you want to just go into a bit more detail about that what do you what what do you mean when with the self-discovery I'm interested um I think I hadn't realized how um I'd got to 49 and I used to joke with my colleagues at work and say I'm going to make 50 so cool that you're all going to want to be 50 um (laughs) Because because there was just something about going from 40s to 50s that, that mentally I was thinking it's another shift. And also um, my son had just left home. So my daughter is lives in London. My son is now at uni in Glasgow. And so I was hitting this empty nest like an oncoming train uh Mm. it was just so I wanted to know who I was because I wasn't of course I'm still a mum but I my role as a mum was very diff was going to be shifting and changing because they were both had left home um and I wanted and I had been a single mum for a lot of years um I mean, I'm, I've remarried now, but I, you know, I was a single mum when they were little, when they were children and babies, um, I was a single mum. And so um, I wanted to kind of discover who I was and I have always wanted to write. Um, I, I do kind of manage to entertain people through writing and I, I, I wanted to expand on that. So. Yeah. You know, there was there were things I wanted to do that I now had an opportunity to do, but I also wanted to embrace turning 50 rather than be like, oh my gosh, everything is drying up and giving up and sagging, um, which it is, but I'm cool about it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and did you move to Orkney with when you were a single mum? Is that when... Yeah. 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 So talk, can you talk a bit about that? Because where did you where did you move from and what was the what was why Orkney? Well, I lived in Cambridge um, with my children and I had kind of had my eye on Orkney for a long time. Always wanted to um, live by the sea. I'd, I'd always lived in landlocked places, Birmingham, um, you know, Cambridge is, is kind of at least two hours away from any beach. Um, but I've always, if you cut me through the middle, it would say daydreamer, like a stick of rock. You know, I'm always dreaming about the, ne- the next thing. Um, and so I, Orkney really lends itself to that. People say that the atmosphere is thin. So we're kind of heading into woo-woo territory now, but... <laughs> You know, there's just some <laughs> there's something about it that I just felt really drawn to, um, and I kind of thought about it for years before I actually did it. And then eventually, I just thought, if I don't do it, I never will, and then I'll regret it. Mm. So I went with the kind of idea that, well, I cannot. You know, I'm an adult; I can just go back if it doesn't mm. work out. I can leave again, yeah. but um, I ended up staying. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I also talk a lot about seasons. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is a season. Every, everything in life is a season. And right now the season is that I'm here. That doesn't mean to say, I don't come down hard and say, I'm going to be here forever because I just don't believe I will be. Um, but, but, you know, right now the season is here. And that's fine. And it's lovely. I have never been to Orkney, but it's something I think 
especially uh, I follow a lot of people on social media that are in Orkney or Sky and I keep on saying to my husband I've just got this real burning desire to go up there and that's also part of the reason I wanted to talk to you because I'm it's so like <laughs> yeah. this it's kind of seems this mystical magical place with like amazing people that are doing amazing things um, yeah. so it, I feel really and drawn I, to I it. I also think the important thing to say here is I mean you know, I'm not I'm not doing this deliberately to, to come back to balance, but but <laughs> the, important, the important thing, but you know, I'm pretty good at it, right? But the important <laughs> thing to remember is um <clears throat> there is that it is beautiful and mystical and lovely, and you get you know a different sunset and a different sunrise every day, and it's gorgeous and glorious and all of those things, and at the same time, we all get wet when it rains. Right. So that if you've got people, there's going to be problems. Everybody, you can't people, people sometimes come here thinking that they're going to escape their problems, mm -hmm. but they're taking themselves. Mm -hmm. And if they are the problem, that's not going to go away. Mm -hmm. So there's, there are just as many problems here as anywhere else in the country. So mm -hmm. it is it is about balance. And I had that kind of romantic view, I suppose. <laughs> But the reality is, the reality is, wherever you go, there's going to be that that mix of light and shade in everything. And actually, what comes through as well in your book is that there are, I would say, maybe some additional uh, problems that you have to overcome when you're living in such a remote part of the world. And, you know, way up there you, you do mention that like the winters and how you how that affects your your mental health um do you want to talk a bit about that how you kind of cope with those um, long dark days yeah I mean I think um whenever people say they want to move up here um and should they do it and I always think please don't put that responsibility on me like you know that's <laughs> I don't know if you should do it. I don't know your life. But, um, yeah, I think the winters are long and dark. Um, and I don't, I, I'm getting better. But I, you know, I, I find by January, February, you've had a lot of, a lot of uh, darkness lacking in daylight. And the wind, it's, it's really windy. It gets really windy up here. Mm. Um and so I tended to find, before swimming, I tended to find, I approached January and February um, with like, I hate you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so mentally I was always saying, oh, just another day like this. And, you know, and I was kind of crawling on my hands and knees to march. Whereas now I embrace it a lot more because I've got myself outside in nature and I mm. and, and getting into nature I wish I'd known this years and years and years ago but getting into nature is so incredibly healing and so good for you um, and and in my case cold or swimming for me has been so empowering that um, it has really really helped me to get through some very dark times and some very dark winters i the healing power of nature is incredible and i wish i had known that many years ago i'm also wary that we're kind of speaking always from a place of privilege because other people haven't got that chance mm -hmm. i was really mindful in lockdown my husband was shielding in lockdown we live in you know you've probably seen my view um on Instagram, right? So we've got an amazing view. We've got a huge area of space and air and light. We're so privileged for mm. that. And, and I, you know, I kind of thought of people who were shielding or who were in high rise flats and they didn't have that. And, and you know, getting into nature can be really, people say go for a walk, it's free. And you think, well, yeah, but you, you know, it's, if you don't have parks and green spaces around you, um, that can be very difficult so I you know I do try I do try to keep my privilege in check mm. um, and, and realize that I you know gratitude is an also is also another important 
thing in my toolbox really something that I wanted to ask you was uh, kind of about your faith and you know and the element of spirituality and how that has helped you you know get through hard times and I mean I am a huge fan of Oprah Oprah Winfrey and I love like listening to her podcasts and her interviews and reading her books and everything and faith in whatever form that is if it's God or the universe or having some kind of spiritual practice I know can be a huge support for so so many people um and I know there's something that you talk about you know in your in your book as well so Mm -hmm. would you mind sharing a bit about yeah what faith means to you yeah well in fact it's quite interesting because in the last 12 months I've been on through really quite a big transition so I was a regular churchgoer for like for 25 I went to church as a child always I don't ever remember a time when I didn't believe in God now however that God looks like God the universe whatever you want to call it I always believed in something greater than myself um and that's that was really important to me and then I kind of stopped going to church then I went back to church and I went there for 25 years um now last year I left the church I I I felt like my spirituality and my faith did not fit into a church-sized shaped box anymore Mm. it was something so much bigger Mm. so I left the church setting and grieved it I mean I grieved it it was all I knew for years Mm. and it has sustained me it you know it was very very beautiful people in there people that I loved and cared for um and it had been an incredible support to me but I also knew that the time is right for me to leave that setting but I didn't leave God so now I still feel I have a deep spiritual life and I still pray and I, you know, I do a lot of journaling, for example. Um, I think for me, the important thing is, is to remain connected to something greater than myself. Um, mm. And when I, you know, when I look at where I live, Orkney is a tremendous place for that kind of thing. Um, mm. You know, when, when you see ancient there's the thing called the ring of brogga which is kind of like stonehenge mm-hmm. and you think that that somebody five thousand years ago five thousand it blows your mind mm. but built that probably because they were connected to something bigger than themselves they you know they didn't know maybe they did maybe they maybe they knew more than me mm. but um but that faith has sustained me through all of life's ups and downs and I could never walk away from my faith I've left the church shaped box but I you know I just don't believe I could walk away because it's just it runs through me Mm -hmm. um and I just I just believe that there's something bigger and and I find that a great comfort and a great support and a great help and when you say about the the church shaped box could could you explain what you mean by that if you can um like is it do you feel that is um yeah was it you felt that it was kind of restricting you or you just or it wasn't it was limiting or what what does that look like actually both of those things both of those things I was and, and interestingly, the, the disconnect from church started around about the time that I started swimming in the sea and started this transition. Mm. You know, I was becoming, going through menopause, let's not even go there. But, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of transition for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was almost like I was going towards one thing and breaking away from another at the same time. But yeah, I I began to feel that it was quite limiting. Mm. Um, And I began to feel, I don't want to criticise individuals. I I don't want anybody to listen to this and thinking I'm just about to have a massive sesh about this is wrong and that's wrong. But for me, I felt like um, 
there were some limiting beliefs that I was struggling to sit comfortably in. Um, and it was feeling a bit patriarchal, the kind of like, um, not every church is like this. And I'm not saying even my particular church was like this, but the wider church message could sometimes be a bit white privilege mm. more often than sometimes. And that kind of like, you can come and you can join so long as it looks like this, then you belong. And if you, and if you stray from that narrative, then, well, you know, we're gonna, it's, it, I was just really struggling with, with all of that mm. um, narrative, really. And, mm. and I needed to break away and think, what do I believe rather than what I'm being told I believe? if that makes sense yeah so that sounds like it was very closely linked to what you're saying about this kind of journey of self-discovery and if if the church shape box as you describe it has been a feature of your life for so many years I can see that would be a big element of of the self-discovery and tie that in with being immersed in nature and which cold water swimming is is all about that isn't it because you yeah. can't really think of anything else apart from that immersion <laughs> um yeah. so yeah that's I can imagine that's been quite a powerful change um and whilst all that was going on you've had to deal with quite a lot of loss in your life as well I mean you talk about losing one of your dear friends um quite yeah. early on in the book you, you talk about that and then also um caring for your mum um would you mind talking a little bit about you know how how that's sort of impacted your life mm-hmm. well so Fiona the friend that died um she was the first friend I ever made in fact even before I came to Orkney um a mutual friend put us in touch and she was just such a good friend she was so loyal Um, She was quite a remarkable person. I think we often use the word inspirational. We kind of throw it around quite freely, but she really was, you know, she networked, she included everybody. She was just a fantastic friend. And she, um, to cut a very long story short, she got breast cancer. She, and then it, and then it just went everywhere. And, um, you know, she she knew that she didn't have a lot of time left and she died when she was 59. Um, and so that happened in the January. Um, and in the, at the same time, running parallel to that, my mum was diagnosed with dementia in the January. Um, she had been, for the previous 12 months, we'd been starting to have a lot of questions about her behaviour um, she was changing quite dramatically and so we had we had her diagnosis and and I remember thinking some you know we don't know what's around the corner but sometimes you officially have a diagnosis that says you don't know what's around the corner <laughs> and that's how it was with mum that I was just like well now we know we've got this diagnosis um I kind of know how it's potentially going to play out and I've got to watch that happen. Mm. Um, and I, to this day, I'm grieving someone who's not died. Mm. Um, and every little shift and every little change, you know, you grieve again and you grieve again. It's just like pulling a plaster off slowly. It's like getting a wax slowly. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it, 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 and I started to talk about it on social media. I had a different um, Instagram account at the time and I started to talk about it and people um, used to message me and say, oh, this is you know, so helpful, you talking. Because part of me thinks, am I just oversharing here and just like moaning about you know, my life? Nobody cares. <laughs> but, um, but actually people found that, people said that it was really helpful. Um, and so I kind of thought, well, I will just talk so so when I you know I talk I talk quite openly quite frankly about the fact that I cry in my car a lot um in fact my car's getting sold tomorrow and I feel quite emotional about it because that car oh. has seen me 
has held all of my tears. I'm going to write a post about this, but mm. it's held all of my tears and all of my emotions for the last few years. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I just spoke openly about how hard it all is um, with a loved one with dementia mm. and people have really connected with that. Mm. Yeah, it's, um, I read uh, the book, someone that I used to know um, about dementia. Um, I've forgotten the name of the author now, um, you probably know, but yeah, it was um, really my first kind of understanding of what uh, dementia you know looks like and she she has quite an early onset dementia but she um she really yeah goes into into detail about her her own experience and her relationship with her children um and yeah it's dementia is also a disease that affects women far more than men um and I think you know not many people necessarily are aware of that I think it's really important as as women that we do have knowledge of of these things and you know yeah do what we can to you know try and look after our brains and things um you know at, from a young age yeah and in fact I went to dad's I went to my parents the other day and dad had a newspaper cutting um and it said about cold water swimming I mean I don't know how tested this is or anything like that but it was a newspaper cutting saying that you know they they believe cold water swimming can help prevent dementia mm. and he sort of joked about saying you know taking do you think you'd get mum in the water and I was like dad the ship has sailed now for mum you know like we're not going to get her back mm. um by taking a cold water swimming but I said really it's for people like me maybe the cold water swimming can help mm. prevent something in me mm-hmm. um as part of lots of other things but that movement moving your body is is so beneficial anyway yeah. whatever you do moving is good for you yeah definitely and and actually i'm reading I've, i'm not can i say i'm reading it i've just read the first kind of few pages of a book called um the xx brain i don't know if you've heard of it but no, it's no, a, okay i'll i'll send you the link yeah the xx brain and it's all about um women's brains and dementia and yeah just it's a, a, a doctor who her whole field of research is is about dementia and women's brains and our health and things that you can you know do to try and look after your the health of your brain um uh so yeah anyway else i can send you the <laughs> the link but it's, yeah, it's something i've um you know i've got so many books i love reading it's just uh, every time yeah. i hear a new book i'm like oh yes i have to get that one I have to get that one yeah. um but no that i thought that you might enjoy that one mm-hmm. um and i think yeah there's it's not something that I have ever experienced so I can't say that I know how that feels but the the feeling of grief when the some when someone's still alive is quite it's quite a unique uh, torture really in a way isn't it like that you they're not there they're there but they're not there and I just I think that must be so hard to to come to um, terms with I think nobody was more surprised than us that it was mum mum was a really she was a nurse um she was a ward sister she was a matron I mean you know in the old days you just didn't mess with her she was a fantastic nurse she was immense she she wrote quizzes she was the treasurer on every club and you know the chair of this and businesswoman of the just like all kinds of things um and for her we were just like not mom I mean she's just she was completely she was born organized I mean the pendulum swung the other way with me I can't stress that enough but (laughs) um you know she doesn't daydream there's no time for daydreaming get your head out of the clouds Sarah you know she was just really really strong in a different way from my strength Mm. um and and it's not just about because I think we often talk about forgetting and does she know who you are and that's you know that's well does she know who you are which is a microscopic amount of what dementia it it, for me some of the grief is in the change of behavior so for example she was sitting in the house 
dad obviously hadn't noticed, but she's sitting in the house with a pair of gloves on her feet. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, well, my feet were cold. So I said, well, you know, and I could, and then I realised that she had obviously just just done this, but that she just found these gloves and thought, well, gloves go on the end of something to keep them warm oh. and put them. And it was so pitiful because it just looked so ridiculous. And I just went and got some socks and pulled the gloves off and put the socks on. But it's little things like that that are so, um, so sad to see that this woman who was so efficient at her job and so good at her job now puts gloves on her feet mm. um and 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 also for me and every every alzheimer's or dementia plays out in a different way and i am so thankful that my mum has not become aggressive or violent i mean in in if anything she's become kind of meek and this biddable old lady now whereas before she was quite strong she had a strong character um but but she just hasn't forgotten how to love and I find that so there's so much beauty and grief all mixed up in it all because there's elements of it that are absolutely beautiful Mm. um and then she can ask me 150 times what day is it what we're doing where are we going you know and yet there's real beauty in, in the tender moments that you have. Mm. I just think, I just want to lock this away forever. I don't ever want to forget these, which is why I journal. Mm. And it's why the journal becomes a book mm. because I don't want to forget these moments. Mm. No, of course. And yeah, I think when you feel as though the time that you have left is is of course time is precious but when you know that you know it's it's so finite that those tender moments are all the more poignant I suppose um and so is at the moment she's still because I know you posted was it yesterday about her um you know you went over and she was talking about the voting and that she wanted to help count the votes and things and I um I I I was really touched by by that that you shared that story um I mean what's you've actually worked f- f- caring for people with dementia which I I thought as well was quite interesting and you said you know it's just a totally different experience obviously when it's someone in your own family but you have had quite a lot of experience caring mm. for for people with with dementia um I mean is it and it's something that I don't know very much about, but is it a case that she'll be able to, you know, stay at home for as long as possible? Would she, would she need to maybe, you know, go into somewhere where she can have more care or what's, Mm -hmm. how does that, how does that work? Every family and every setup is different. Um, And when I say what I'm about to say, there is absolutely no judgment on anybody else's decision and anybody else's what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I made the decision while I'm able to make this decision because, you know, emotionally I might not be able to make that decision in the future. And I discussed it with my husband. My mum does not want to go into care and always says, please don't put me into care. And in fact, the diagnosis was difficult because she, as soon as she was diagnosed and then, we went out of the hospital and said, I thought they were going to, I thought, I thought you were going to lock me up. Um, You know, and she said, I I thought you were going to lock me away. And I I said, no, of course, of course, we're not going to do that. Um, So so I am in a, I am in a position where, and and we are financially in a position where if needs be, if I had to maybe take some time off work and care for, for her, she could pay my what you know whatever I'm lacking in work wages she could pay me to do that now that is absolute privilege Mm. absolutely I I realize that as I say that that is real privilege and it's something that I want to do Mm. that is um so if if it gets to the stage where my dad can't look after her anymore he's nearly 82 nobody is going to live forever this is the horrible 
fact that we have to address, but one of them is going to die. Mm. Um, and if it is dad first, then I would have to move in and look after my mum. And that is something that I've prepared for. I've talked with my husband about, um, and I have made that decision. Um, they do have carers come, like there's a lady that comes and she cleans once a week and she cooks meals, but really she's just a breath of fresh air. She breaks up their day. We kind of, we've kind of got them into a, into a routine now where we say, this is what, you know, this is a Monday, this is what happens on a Tuesday, just so that they've got kind of routine. Um, but, you know, the way it plays out, I mean, I realised when I wrote, when I look back on the book I wrote, she's so different from that book now. Yeah. Um, you know, and I had no idea. And it's just as well, because if you anticipate all of this loss, you'd, you'd, you'd go nuts. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's really important that you just deal with it as it comes along and um, and you, you deal with each little... So she has vascular dementia, so she goes down in steps and, and then you look back and you think, oh, you know, she's got a dementia shuffle now. She's not as interested in her appearance anymore and that's something that I have to try and encourage and boost her um so yeah you you're just you're just managing and, and I said to you before we started recording you're waiting for that axe to fall I feel in that permanent state of tension that I am waiting to you know initially I was terrified that she was going to drive because she they she was told she couldn't drive and she vehemently denied that she was I'm not that bad I can drive I was terrified I was ill with worry mm she's going to drive she's past that stage now she wouldn't have a clue how to get in a car and drive she wouldn't know how to she wouldn't know how to start the car now but now I have worry about other things mm. and it's all well and good saying don't worry you just try not worrying you know of course <laughs> of course you worry um so I just feel in that state of, of of just waiting for the next thing to happen and then um respond to it as and when it does uh, yeah, I mean, I felt I felt quite emotional hearing you um, share share what you've just said. Then um, I think caring for our parents is something that I don't think it really people talk about it that much, unless it's you know really imminently affecting them or you know I have actually I remember a couple of years ago asking some of my my girlfriends you know and bearing in mind most of them you know they're in their kind of mid to late 30s their parents are mostly fit and well um it's probably not something that had even cropped into their minds particularly um but I remember did I asked them you know what would you what would you do like have you got a plan for what you might do if your parents needed caring for um and something that we do discuss quite a lot in our in our house um but yeah we, we don't have the all the answers that's for sure um that's why we're discussing it <laughs> yeah I talked to somebody on Instagram and um, I did a live with her a few couple of weeks ago and she's a millennial carer so she's 27 28 she's 28 um her mum is in her 70s uh has dementia she's had it Alzheimer's she's had it for a number of years and and this lady's husband died and so Taryn moved in and looks after her mum and she's 28. Mm. Um, totally different kettle of fish. Her mum gets very frustrated. She shouts a lot. She records all this. She's really, has a really open and raw account. But one thing, one kind of real landmark thing for me um, when it come to, came to pe- caring for my mum. So she's, she didn't used to be nuts about the dog, but she's completely nuts about the dog now. So she's just like, the dog is, is the, you you know, the star guest of every time we visit. And um, we were eating tea and mum just put a knife and fork down and walked off. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm going off to play with the dog. And so I instantly had the mom voice and said, no, we are eating our tea. And then when you've eaten your tea, you can get down and play then. And it was like, you know, it's just horrifying because I was like, I've just spoken to my 
79-year-old mother as if she's like my six-year-old child. Yeah. But that's what she had become. She just was like, I'm off to play with the dog now. You know, mm. so that was a real, for me, I thought, oh my gosh, we have shifted roles. Yeah. And, and sometimes, I, I mean, I cry a lot. Um, it helps me get through. Oh, I've had a good cry today. I cried <laughs> yesterday. I cried the day before. Um, but I had a really good cry a couple of Sundays ago. And I said to Roy, my husband, um, he's called Orkney Beef. So there's a spoiler alert. I've just told you his actual name. Um, <laughs> but I really cried and I said, I just want my mum. I just, I said, she'll never be my mum again. Never. She is by name, but she'll never be that nurture to me that I sometimes mm. need. I've, I've lost that. And I, I really cried, really, really cried. And, um, because I, you know, sometimes I just want my mummy. Of course, you want her, and it's it's so it's so difficult. You know, I I, uh, I wish in the times like this, you know, there's there's nothing that I can say to kind of make it make it better. It's just that yeah. is that is really hard, and it's I think um, yeah, making that choice to to be there for them and to care for them it's you know it's not an easy choice and um I think you know I, I think that that is amazing and I I would like to think that I would you know be able to to do the same um but yeah you know like you say each case is is individual and um yeah I can imagine yeah if there were cases where you know you felt it wasn't safe or things like that you know you just never know what's what's gonna gonna play out it must be so difficult yeah and that's why you know we should never judge anybody else's decision Mm. because I'm not in their shoes and they're not in mine Mm -hmm. Uh, and if if mum were to become for example aggressive Mm-hmm. and 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 it was not sustainable and it was not sustainable for either of us mm-hmm. because it's not just about me but it's about her um you know if there was, there's all kinds of things you know you might have to make that decision in the future but I I really this is a it's a very difficult thing to say but you wouldn't let a dog live in the way that very many adult elderly people are living you would you would not let a dog live like that now I'm not saying that we should be going around injecting everybody but but that conflict that you have where I want it to end for her I want it to end this is a horror show that I want to be over but I don't want her to die Mm -hmm. but the only way it's going to end is when she goes to her next life mm-hmm. you know when it's when she leaves this life and goes wherever she goes which I believe is another place where she will be reunited with the people that she loves that have gone before that gives me tremendous comfort tremendous comfort and we've had that discussion mum and I you know she believes that she believes she'll see her father her son my brother who died um her her mother you know she believes that so that's a real real comfort for me this is becoming a very dark conversation isn't it but it's It's this is what life is about yeah absolutely you're not not, none of us are going to be here forever so we you know I think I I I like to think about these things and Mm. um she you know she believes that she will go on to another place Mm -hmm. um and that gives me comfort that she will be reunited with those people. Mm. Um, so I do have this constant conflict. And I'm sure listeners who are dealing with loved ones with dementia can identify that you want it to end. Yeah. But you don't want them to die. You're yeah. not wishing that they die. You're just wishing that the suffering is over. I agree completely. I think these things are really important to to talk about because if you if you don't and you shy away from discussing them, that doesn't make the event any easier to deal with. In fact, I think it would make it harder. Like by by yeah. discussing these things openly, it can 
it can help you to to think about things or you might you know, things might come up that you've not thought of before I think I think it's really really healthy and in fact um yeah I mean I've interviewed uh, an end-of-life doula and a funeral director a palliative care doctor I mean I, I'm I'm I think that these these conversations are really important mm-hmm. um and it's there's something about you mentioned gratitude um but it's, and you know the the poignancy of you know beautiful moments when you can appreciate the the fragility of life mm-hmm. and i think it's through understanding you know death and and all of those things that can help you really appreciate what you do have in the moment so I, I I'm I'm with you 100% I think it's important to have these conversations mm-hmm. um so thank you thank you for sharing that I know you know that's it's a really personal thing to to talk about and yeah you know especially because your mum is is there and is is it okay to, to talk about it like that but I'm so thank you so much for being so so generous and and open with me about that um yeah thank you and I mean is there anything else you know you obviously the swimming and we've talked about your your faith and your spirituality I mean are there any other kind of practices or things that you feel are really important for you to to try and help keep you going when you've got uh, so much going on around you I think um for me um I use humor a lot now that's that's not to bat away the problems but that has always been um my coping strategy because um I can't help being hilarious (laughs) (laughs) but no (laughs) I do (laughs) I do use humor a lot to get me through things so I have this very gallows humor um and so you know I I know that if my humor goes, then we're in trouble. Um, so so self-care is really important. Take a nap if you need a nap. Um, but also, you know, I, I like to move. I'm, I've started doing Pilates um, more recently, which I'm thoroughly enjoying doing. I love reading. I love journaling um, and just just taking time for me huge thing is solitude I need my solitude I get my energy from solitude mm. um, so everybody's getting really excited about being allowed back out again and I'm like no I want to stay in actually <laughs> <laughs> um you know so so it's just it's it's for me I need to I kind of keep an eye on where I am with my mental health mm. I um I look at the checkpoints like if the humor starts to go um then I know that I need to you know what do I need to am I do I need to just look at am I eating am I eating too much sugar or am I you know am I getting a a decent diet or am I am I just make myself in fact one of in one of my lowest lowest times when I was a single mom and I was, um, you know, I was really very depressed at the time. Um, I can remember just thinking, just get through the next 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And if I can get through the next 10 minutes, then I can get through the next 10. And, and my life was broken down into 10 minute slots. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, you've got through a day. Mm-hmm. Um, that is my go-to. If I, if, if, I, if I ever get to those dark points again, I will will use that strategy right just 10 minutes just te- all I've got to do is achieve 10 minutes mm-hmm. and if 10 minutes is too much then five minutes mm. um, I have found that really helpful but yeah. yes yeah I think I should probably try that I think um, when you um, your, your children obviously you know much older than, than mine but I, I think maybe I should try that when they're um <laughs> screaming or you know saying mommy 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 (laughs) sometimes you just think oh 10 minutes can I get through 10 minutes but that would that would actually make break it down and make it feel much more manageable I might try that thank you and then before you know it an hour and a half has gone by I mean I can still remember now thinking oh I set a target of 10 minutes and it's been an hour 
you know, I can still look back on those times. That was just my little go-to to help me. Mm. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. You've been such a wonderful guest. And, well, thank um, you very much. Yeah, I I feel as though every guest I have on the show, I say that they're inspirational. And you, I know you said, oh, it's kind of thrown around a lot. But, you know, there's a reason that people ask you to come on to podcasts. And, you know, that's the reason that you've written a book and all of that stuff. So you have a lot of really great stuff to share with the world. And thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm going to go away and binge listen to all of your podcasts now. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're gay.